we come to chapter 11, and chapter 11 of Revelation continues the interlude that began at chapter 10, verse 1. Let me just refresh your memory. And those of you that may be just starting with us, when you read about the plagues, there's uh, the six, uh, excuse me, the seven seal judgments, there's the seven trumpet judgments, and then there's the seven bowl judgments. When you read those judgments unfolding, you're watching the chronology of a seven-year period of time moving forward. Those judgments are how you measure the chronology. And those first 14 judgments, for the most part, occur during the first half of the seven years of tribulation. You and I are gone. The church is gone. Uh, we're with the Lord. We're at the judgment seat of Christ. We're preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb, those things that take place uh, in another place at another time. But on earth, while we're gone, uh, there is tribulation where God is pouring out his wrath and the judgments of the seals, the judgment of the, of the trumpets and the judgment of the bowls is how you measure the progression as you're moving through, uh, uh, through the revelation. But periodically, he stops. He did this once previously, if you remember. He stops the progression, and he gives you some detail that you didn't have before. I, who remembers the last detail in the, in the interlude? It was the sealing of the 144,000. The sealing of the 144,000. So what we learn is, is that during the first uh, part of the tribulation, there's at least 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are out there sharing uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom, and they're out there preaching. Well, when you get to chapters 10 and 11, at least through 11, 14, 11 verse 14, you're in another one of those interludes. And last week we saw that John saw this angel, comes down, shows his great authority, has a book in his hand, and John is instructed to go over, take that book out of his hand, to eat the book. It tastes like honey in his mouth. It's sweet in his mouth, but when it gets to his belly, it's sick. And the reason is because what's about to come, what's about to be unleashed is horrible. It's horrendous. It's, it's worse than worse. It's just, it's just horrible. Well, that interlude continues, and we're, in, we're introduced to some more of the characters that have a part that are, that, that's played during the seven years of tribulation. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Now let's just talk about this for a minute. The, the reed is very similar to those that came out of the Jordan River Valley, like come out of other river banks and out of other marshy areas. Uh, they can be as much as 20 feet in length. Obviously, not all of them are that long, but they can be as much as 20 feet in length and three inches in diameter. Uh, they can have pieces of them that will be cut off of them and used for writing instruments. You know, you, you dip the end, the end of it into some ink and you use it as a writing instrument. But that's the kind of reed that we're talking about. By the way, I heard today that the company that makes the, the, company that makes the yardstick isn't going to make them any longer. That, that's a corkyism. And um, that, that's a corkyism. And I have to bring him up every once in a while because I miss him. He's been in heaven too long. I miss him. 
That's a corkyism. But this reed is going to be used for the purpose of measuring. And what are they measuring? They're measuring the temple of God. Now, by the temple of God, he can't mean the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but he's not talking about the church here. And I can say that for a number of reasons. I can't give you all these details. But first, the, the temple is to be built in the holy city. You'll see that in verse 2 here in a moment. That's, that means it's going to be built in Jerusalem. We're not moving to Jerusalem. Um, secondly, there's a distinction that's made between the Jews and the Gentiles. But in the church age, there is no such distinct, distinction. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. There is no distinction. By the way, the church is supposed to be the place where the greatest amount of reconciliation of the races takes place. Okay. <laughs> that, that's where it's supposed to take place. Uh, we're, we're all just uh, sinners saved by the grace of God. We are saints because of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Thirdly, we know this is not the, the church. It's not you and me because there are Jewish wor there's Jewish worship and worshipers that are the focus of this measurement. But the Gentile portion of the temple is not being measured. And then fourthly, we know that because the church was raptured, right? Right? The church is gone. The church was gone three and a half years earlier, the beginning of the tribulation. Verse 2, but leave out the court. Here it is. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, there, there's one of the uh, numbers that tells us something about the tribulation. There's uh, 84 months total, seven years total, broken into two 42-month segments. There's the tribulation, the first three and a half years. There's the uh, great tribulation, the second three and a half years. Uh, and he's telling you about these 42 months when the Gentiles are going to overrun the temple. Uh, we know that's going to occur toward the end of the tribulation. But he says not to measure the court of the Gentiles. Don't measure the court of the Gentiles. Measuring, by the way, was a way of saying, I own this. This is mine. It belongs to me. Don't measure the court of the Gentiles because the Gentile nations are going to come against Israel. There's going to be a great battle at the end of the tribulation called the Battle of Armageddon. Really, it's more like a war, the war of Armageddon. And so when you talk, talk here about measuring the, the temple, he's talking about measuring um, the temple that will be in Jerusalem. Um, what do I leave out here? Okay, let me, ah, I know what I did. I forgot to turn my page over. <laughs> I knew I forgot something. Um, they, they were measuring the, the holy place, right? Uh, they're measuring the altar that probably is the altar of incense. Uh, the purpose of the measure is to see those who worship and declare God's ownership of it. I wondered where that went to. It went on the back side of this page. Um, and so God's measuring uh, in, in that fashion. When you get to verse 2, uh, you see that uh, this is over a 42-month period of time. He doesn't me measure the court of the Gentiles because it's going to be overrun uh, by the Gentiles and, uh, who come against uh, God's people at the end of the tribulation. Chapter 11, verse 3. 
and I will give power to my witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. There's another number, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over water to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so we're introduced to two more characters You've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You've got uh, the 144,000 witnesses. You've got the martyrs that are under the altar that are crying out, Lord, when are you going to exercise vengeance uh, against those who have taken our lives? Now you have two witnesses. These two witnesses are going to be proclaiming the gospel, and they have supernatural powers. I mean, fire coming out of your mouth, that's pretty supernatural. That doesn't mean bad breath. That doesn't mean they ate onions. And nobody can stand it. I mean, this is something that's supernatural, these two witnesses. And he's given them the light. He's given them to be the light in the midst of the darkness. Uh, he calls them here. Uh, he calls them here uh, a lampstand and an olive tree. The olive tree provides the oil. The lampstand is where the light is provided. So he's providing the means and the method for these two men to be a light in this dark period of, of human history, this period of tri tribulation. Do you see that? God's providing those things. Now, the question always comes up, who are these two witnesses? And, uh, you know, some of these things don't really worry me like they seem to worry a lot of other people. If we don't know exactly who they are, it's okay. It, it's okay. It really is. It's okay. And if God doesn't say who they are, then we have to be speculative with it. We can't be dogmatic about it. Some people say it's Moses and Elijah. Some people say it's Enoch and Elijah. Uh, some people say it's Joshua and Zerubbabel. Yeah, it could be any of those. They say it's Enoch because, well, Enoch never died. And he was just taken into heaven. Some say it was Moses, uh, possibly because he was seen at the transfiguration of Christ. Some say it was Joshua and Zerubbabel because they're referred to in the book of Zechariah as olive trees and candlesticks. But the most important thing is that the message they are proclaiming is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're dressed in sackcloth. What does sackcloth symbolize? Mourning, death. A judgment, and they're going, to they're going to proclaim that judgment that's coming. Can you imagine? You've got 144,000 Jewish people circling the globe preaching the gospel. Um, you've got people that come to faith in Jesus, and they're sharing the gospel. You've got these two witnesses, whomever they may be, that are proclaiming the truth. They are lighting the darkness. And so even in the midst of the darkness, God gives light to show people out of the way, uh, out of that way of the wrath of God if they just follow it. And at the complaining of the Jews about the heart, their hardships, God sends fire on them. By the way, the fire comes out. God's done this on other occasions. When the Jews complained, God sent fire. When Korah rebelled, you know, uh, there was fire involved in the punishment of 250 elders. When Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal, there was fire that fell from heaven. This is judgment. 
whether it's the words that they speak that somehow have power in them or whether it's literal fire, really doesn't make a whole lot of difference, does it? It just means the judgment. They have the power to exercise judgment on those who try to harm them. So you, you th- you know, think about this. You've got, you got these seven seal judgments, and there's one cataclysmic adju- a judgment after another. Then you've got these seven trumpet judgments, one cataclysmic. We only got, we've only seen six of those. One cataclysmic judgment after another. You have three woes. You've only seen one of those. You're about to finish seeing the third one if we get to it tonight. The second one, I mean, to it tonight. We won't get to the third one. You still got the the, the bold judgments that are going to be poured out, the judgment poured out. You've got 144,000 preaching the gospel. You have these two witnesses doing the same. You've got this horde of demonic creatures that look like men and look like beasts, and you've never seen anything like them. You've got others that are like a scorpion that can sting you with their tail and make you want to die, but you can't die. You can't die. <laughs> this is, I, don't, I shouldn't even laugh like that. I'm not laughing. I'm, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's unbelievable what we're reading about. Verse 7, Now when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war. The beast is the Antichrist. We saw him coming on the white horse, didn't we? He had a bow, but he didn't have any arrows. He came in peace. But where does he really come from? He's the beast. Uh, he comes out of the pits of hell. Hell. Hail. Like hell or hail. It's not H-A-I-L. H-E-L-L. Notice verse 7. They finished their testimony. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. That's against these two. Overcome them and kill them. So here's what we know. We know these two have got to be active during the first part of the tribulation, during these first 42 months, during these first uh, three and a half years. They're they're active at some point alongside of and in addition to the 144,000 witnesses. They have this supernatural power. They can stop the rain if they need to stop the rain. They can make the water turn to blood like Moses did if they need to do so. But then God allows them to be killed. The beast to be able to kill them. And so the death of these two witnesses has to occur sometime, I suppose, during the middle, toward the middle of these seven years. Verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. You don't ever want to be called Sodom and Egypt. Where also our Lord was crucified. So what city are we talking about? Where are their bodies going to lay? In Jerusalem. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, just to sort of lighten things up for a moment, Mary said that when when uh, I died, that she was going to have a, a table at a restaurant ready afterwards, for all of her friends to gather, just to, you know, lighthearted, you know, like I'm no big loss. But this is a big loss. This, this is a big loss. You got, these, you got these two men 
that suddenly are, are allowed by God to, to be overcome by the beast, the Antichrist. He leaves their bodies laying out, and uh, the people are rejoicing. That's the point. You don't rejoice at people's deaths, do you? Mary is, but she's going to rejoice when I die. I'm free. I'm free. Thank God. I'm free. <laughs> After 45 years, yeah, you know. Well, I hope it's longer than 45 years. I, I'd like it to be more like 70 or more years. I'd like to spend the time with her, even though she doesn't want to spend it with me. But, um, and if you're online, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please, please don't take all that seriously. I love my wife with all my heart. But you, you see, they're rejoicing. They're, they're gone. We're glad they're, they're done. They're, we're finished with them. The purpose of leaving these bodies in the streets of Jerusalem is at least threefold. It was an insult not to bury a body. In other words, to leave a body laying out was to show it the greatest disdain you could possibly show it. Secondly, you wanted to leave it out because the beast, the Antichrist, wants to demonstrate, I have power over them. I have power over them. And thirdly, because uh, those that were tormented by these two men are able to have a party and rejoice. We're free. We're free. It's all okay. We're all done. We don't have to deal with them anymore. And it's sad that Jerusalem is characterized as Sodom and Egypt. It's not, a positive, it's not a positive description. Verse 11, now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. I guess so. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. In other words, God calls them off the earth to come up and meet him. And they ascend to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Oh. By the way, when the bodies are out here laying around, you think CNN's going to be there? Think MSNBC and Fox and NBC and CBS and ABC? You better believe they're going to be there. They're going to have cameras trained watching these two men whose bodies have lain there, who've laid there, and, and nothing was done for them. Uh, in uh, the Antichrist, he'll use social media, he'll use the media, he'll use whatever media is available to make sure the message gets out. I've won, I've conquered. But after three and a half days, God supernaturally raises these men, he lifts them to heaven, takes them up to heaven, and uh, these who were the, their enemies, um, well, they've been rejoicing, but they're not going to rejoice anymore. They're going to be filled with fear. And they're going to be filled with terror. Um, verses 13 and 14. By the way, it's not hard for God to do that. Uh, in the beginning, but please hear me. Um, I've, I've been reading, as I think, I think I've said this several times, and I don't want to keep saying it because you'll get, you get bored with it, but I've been reading through the Bible as quickly as I can. don't always like to do that, but I've been doing that in I've come to all of these passages about creation. I wasn't looking for them. I mean, I see them before, but when you see them in a quick fashion, you realize that sprinkled all across the pages of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is the reality of God's supernatural creation. To deny that is to deny the authority of the Bible. And God took the dirt of the earth, formed it into a man, and did what? I mean, that dust, that dirt, 
He breathed into it the breath of life. He did not evolve in a Darwinian fashion. He did not evolve. God supernaturally formed him and breathed into him the breath of life. It is no problem for God to take these two men after three and a half days and breathe into them the breath of life for them to come back. Hey, it's no problem for God to find the bodies of your loved ones, even if they've been cremated, even if their bodies have been lost. It's no problem. What verse are we in? Verse 13. Sometimes I get away from teaching and go to preaching here. I need to stop doing that. Verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Oh, my goodness. I mean, these hordes of demonic creatures, all these supernatural events happening in the heavens, earthquakes and other places, things hitting the sea, waters going polluted so that you know, the fish in the, in the waters die, the salt waters and the fresh waters. I mean, there, there's tragedy in, in uh, you know, these supernatural matters happening everywhere. A tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 men were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. Finally, somebody gave glory to the God of heaven. The second, here it is, the, the second woe is past. Remember he said woe three times? The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. It'll be an earthquake. It'll kill 7,000 men. It destroys a part of the city. Uh, the response to this earthquake is different than we've seen previously. Remember previously when they were having all these cataclysmic events occur, that they were shaking their fist in the face of God and they were defying God? Here you find them for at least a moment, for not for very long as you're about to see, at least for a moment, giving glory to, 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 to the God of heaven. We continue. Verse 15. Now that, by the way, now the chronology picks up again. We finished the interlude from chapter 10, verse 1, to chapter 11, verse 14. We've been introduced to two additional characters in addition to the 144,000. Now we have the seventh trumpet, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I love that. I'm going to just stop here and, and maybe do a little pastoral comfort. It may look like the world around us, is, and it is, falling apart. I, I hear global, uh, just, just in the last day or two, a global corporate tax, global climate change, a global economy. Globalism is everywhere. I understand we've got to play with the players that are in the world. I understand that. Globalism is not the friend of Christianity. Globalism is the work of the Antichrist at the end of the world. It just means we're getting closer, doesn't it? We're getting closer to the coming of Jesus. But here's, here's my point. Here's, here's the comfort. That wasn't so comforting, was it? <laughs> here's the comfort. Do you see what happens here? We've been watching all of this terror on earth, all of this terror on earth, and suddenly John is caught away from looking at the things on the earth, and he's caught to looking back into heaven and everything's okay. Amen. 
in the Father's house. We used to sing a song. I can't sing all the words. I don't think I remember all the words. I say we. I don't know if we ever sang it here. Everything's all right. Everything's all right in my Father's house. In my Father's house. In my Father's house. Y'all remember that song? Everything's all right in my Father's house. It may look like hell has broken loose on earth, and it will during the tribulation, but when you look up, everything's okay in the Father's house. Your loved ones in heaven, they're good. That'd be a good place for an amen too. They're good. Everything's all right. So with the seventh sound, the sounding of the seventh angel, the chronology picks up. Verse 16, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. Uh, if you notice, uh, it goes on, verse 18, the nations were angry. Ah, they're getting ready to come to Jerusalem. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. This provides a summary statement of events. He's telling you that he's moving quickly now. We've finished the first three and a half years. These next judgments to come are going to move us quickly. Time doesn't move more quickly, but it's going to feel like it's moving more quickly because we're moving to the end. If he, didn't, if he didn't shorten the days, there wouldn't be anything left. This is intended to be a general synopsis of coming events as the revelation quickly moves to a close. God's wrath is falling on the nations at the end of the tribulation and on the Christ-rejecting dead that will be judged. And we're moving toward that quickly. This passage describes a complete change of emotions from those mentioned in chapter 11, verse 10. Now they're angry again. They were celebrating before, now they're angry again. And this hatred toward God is ultimately going to unite them to fight against God. Chapter 11, verse 19, the last verse, and we're finished. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. And so for a few moments, John is able to see again into heaven. He gets a glimpse of the heavenly ark. Um, he gets a, a glimpse of the heavenly temple. Um, but along with those, there's lightnings, noise, thunders, earthquakes, and so forth. Those are all ominous signs that judgment, more judgment is about to come. More judgment is about to fall. By the way... Something we didn't talk about are the temple or is the temple. Um, there will be five, at least five temples. Uh, there's Solomon's temple. Solomon built this incredible, you know, marvelous structure unlike anything that's ever been built. But as you know, when the children of Israel went into captivity, that got destroyed so Zerubbabel, after their captivity, comes back. He rebuilds the temple. There's Zerubbabel's temple. 
You'll remember that it falls into disarray. It gets, uh, it gets uh, desecrated. And then there's Herod's temple. Herod comes along, refurbishes it, expands it. Herod's temple, that's the temple Jesus was in and out of. Um, but in AD 70, what happens to it? The Romans, Titus comes and he destroys that temple. Got the Western Wall. You can go to the Western Wall. I've been there. Western Wall. Put your prayer in the crevices in the rocks. Um, but that's basically all that's left. But there's going to be a temple during the tribulation. Um, it'll either be built right before the trip, right before the tribulation begins, or right after it begins. Because of all of the modern machinery and technology, they may be able to build it pretty quickly. It'll have to be built where there is today a mosque, the Dome of the Rock. It's a mosque. I went in there. Um, you had to take off your shoes. You couldn't say a word when you walked in. Um, I don't even know if they allow you to do that anymore. Uh, but somehow that mosque has got to go. You think that's going to be peaceful? You think that's going to be peaceful? That ain't going to be peaceful. And there's going to be a temple rebuilt on that mountain. It'll be desecrated. The Antichrist will give peace, so that, enough peace so that they can rebuild it, reestablish their worship at it. But in the middle, he'll cut all of that off. He'll break his agreement with Israel. He'll set himself up to be worshiped in that temple. But then there'll be a temple as well that will be in the, millennial, in the millennium. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So you have those five temples uh, that are, are, um, have been or are going to be, those five temples. There's a lot of speculation about the temple. Do they have the, the, the various pieces of furniture? Are they already working behind the scenes to construct this temple? I see some things that seem to indicate they are. Sometimes I see things that indicate they aren't. I don't know. Um, but I know there will be one built. Uh, but the temple we, we don't have to worry about is the one in heaven. Nothing desecrates it and nothing harms it. All right. Are you with me?